Okay, it's very, very exciting for us to talk about preparing for promotion because it means that God can lift us up. But it's equal and, and just as important that we recognize that God is a just God, and just as he can put someone up, he can also put someone down. And he does not want to demote us, but there are things that we do that can cause demotion in our life, just like there's things we can do that can cause promotion in our life. And if you remember, if you got your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Samuel 18. We ended 1 Samuel 17 last week. Remember, uh, David beat Goliath, and he takes Goliath's head because he cut it off. David really got a head in life by that. And he took up Goliath's head, and he's carrying the head around. Okay, so there's a giant's head, and I'm sure like the guts or whatever is coming out of his neck, and his esophagus is hanging there, and he's just holding it up and very excited. I can get, be more graphic. Is it, should I continue? I can, okay, so anyway, he's got him by his hair, and sometimes I'm sure his hair rips, and he has to pick up the head again and keep on carrying it, that kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where I'm talking about. Anyway, so, um, this is gross. So, um, we are in 1 Samuel 18, and y'all can follow along in your Bibles, and you can mark it up if you want to. It's not a sin to write in your Bible. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, we're going to the whole chapter, and it starts off with this. After David finished talking with Saul, Jonathan and David became best friends, and Jonathan loved him as himself. And let me just start by telling you who Jonathan is, because it doesn't really tell us uh, until later on. Jonathan is Saul's son. Okay, and so I need you to just, I want you to picture this, because when I read the Bible, I, I picture it like I'm right there. Uh, Jonathan grew up in the palace thinking that he's going to be king one day. It went from father to son, father to son, father to son. I mean, he, he grew up, um, he grew up um, um, being taught how to talk like a king, walk like a king, be a king. And then God decides to do something completely different and change the bloodline on the throne of uh, Israel. He goes to Jesse's house and finds, finds David. So, Jonathan sees this guy who is taking his place. Jonathan spent his whole life preparing to be king, and now, because of the mistakes his father made, it affected the bloodline. So now David's going to be the next king, and Jonathan has a decision to make. Here this guy is going to take his position, take his job. It's going to surpass him, get promoted over him. Is Jonathan going to celebrate David and encourage David, or is he going to try to kill David and destroy David? It's very important that you see Jonathan was secure enough in who he was to be friends with David. So much so, it says, continues, from that day Saul kept David with him, did not let him return home to his family, and Jonathan made a covenant with David. Everybody say covenant. Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, his belt. David was successful in every mission Saul sent him on, and so Saul even gave him a high rank in the army. I need you to see they made a covenant together, Jonathan and David, and the covenant was, you know, like you see a western and they spit in their hands and shake on it, or you see like some kind of a tribe that cuts the blood and they shake their blood together. Basically, the covenant was this, everything that belongs to me is yours, everything that belongs to you is mine. If something happens to you, I take care of your family if something happens to me, you take care of my family. It was a covenant. They became the best of friends, even though Jonathan could have easily felt betrayed. He could have been angry. He could have been upset. But Jonathan knew that he has a divine God-given destiny. And if he will learn to celebrate David, then God will do something in his life that is worthy of celebration. It was very, very important that you see how Jonathan handled David. In verse 6, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women from, came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and joyful songs and instruments. As they danced, they sang, Saul has killed thousands, but David... Tens of thousands. Saul was angry. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But me with only thousands. They will make him king. And Saul was jealous of David from that day 
on. That word jealous in your Bible is incredibly important. Circle that. Verse 10, the next day an evil spirit from God took control of Saul. David was playing the harp as usual when Saul was holding a spear. Saul hurled it at David twice, but David dodged it each time. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David and had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men and David led troops in battle. Verse 14, David was successful in all he did because the Lord was with him. I want you to see something real important. Um, David was successful not because of his experience or his education or his background or his talent. David was successful because the Lord was with him. There's nothing in your life that should be worth canceling out the favor of God. The favor of God in your life is more important than anything you want or desire. So never, never do anything that's going to cancel it out because your success will not come by your talent, by your education. God can use those things, but ultimately our success is because the Lord is with us. He continues to say, um, when Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. Keep saying that over and over. But all Israel and Judah loved David because... He was such a successful leader. Now, verse 17 through 24, I just want to explain to you, because if I read it, it's kind of boring and unusual. Saul wants to kill David, but he doesn't want to do it himself. So he wants the Philistines to kill David. So he's trying to find a way for David to fight against some really strong Philistines. And so Saul says, I'm going to give you my daughter in marriage if you'd blah, blah, blah. And David's like, whoa, I don't deserve this. And so they talked about it. Then finally, there was another daughter uh, named Michal who loved David. And Saul went back to him and said, listen, I I want you to be my son-in-law. I love you. I want you to come and live with the palace. David says, okay, what do I have to do? And in verse 26, when the attendants told David, I'm sorry, verse 25, Saul said, say to David, the king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins to take, and that word foreskins in Hebrew is Vienna sausage, to take revenge on his enemies. Saul's plan was to have David, it's in the Bible, I didn't write it, I'm just the messenger, I'm the mailman, don't get upset the mailman for bringing you the mail. Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hands of the Philistines. Verse 26, so when the attendants told David these things, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. So before the allotted time elapsed, now how many, how many Philistines did Saul say David needs to kill? How many? 100. Okay, watch how good David is. David took his men with him and went out and killed 200 Philistines and brought back their Vienna sausage. They counted out the full number to the king so that David might become the king's son-in-law. Then, whose job was it to count out that, huh? Like, who got demoted that bad? You're in charge of opening up the bag and counting out the foreskins. Okay, you, no, me? No, give it to this guy. He messed up last week. No, you, no, me. Oh, God. Okay, one, two, three, four, five. I mean, they got to 200. Lord have mercy. <laughs> who would, whose job would that be here in church? Let me think. If that was, who would we get to this? <laughs> Man. <laughs> Okay, where am I at? What am I talking? Okay, they counted out. Okay, so Saul gave his daughter Michal in marriage. When Saul realized the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michal loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him. He remained his enemy for the rest of his days. The Philistine commanders continued to go out in battle. As often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well-known. Okay, preventing demotion, part two. Preventing demotion, part two. I want to talk to you today about don't be jealous. Don't be jealous. If there's one test every single one of us are going to have to pass in our lifetime before God promotes us, 
It is how are we going to respond when somebody close to us or somebody we know surpasses us? When somebody gets promoted ahead of us? When someone's dream comes true and they're not even going to church and they don't tithe and here we are worshiping God, doing our best and our dream's not coming true. When somebody makes more money than we do, when somebody gets the position that we wanted, how are we going to respond when someone gets promoted over us? Are we going to be jealous? Are we going to be envious? Are we going to feel inferior and try to change who we are and talk bad about them and be upset? Or are we going to celebrate that person knowing that God has an individual divine destiny for each person and we are not running in a race against anybody else. The only person we are running against is ourself to be the very best that we can be. Galatians 5.26 says, do not be competitive, envying, or jealous of one another. I don't have to make as much money as my brother makes for me to be able to celebrate the fact that God has blessed him financially. I don't have to have the same size church as my buddy does for me to feel like I'm doing what God's called me to do. You don't have to compete with the cover of a magazine. You don't have to compete with your neighbor who bought the car that you wanted to buy. You don't have to compete with another business. The only person you're in competition with is your flesh and yourself. And if we don't pass this test, we will never, ever, ever, ever get to where God wants us to be. I told you a while back about Joseph and the dream that he had to, to be promoted in life. And it says in Genesis 37, 11, Joseph's brothers were jealous of his dream. All they had to do was celebrate their brother's dream. All they had to do was be happy for their brother, knowing that God had a plan for their life. And if they would celebrate their brother's success, then, then maybe they'd start to see their destiny unfold before God. And God would have things um, inside of them that's worthy of celebration. So it, it's, we're very quick to um, always look at other people and what they have and what we want. And we want their talent. We want their body. We want their metabolism. We want their giftedness, their anointing. But there's something inside of every person that is worthy of celebration. There's something inside of you that is worthy of promotion. There's something inside of you that is worthy of having a party over and being grateful over and thanking God that he's done something in your life and that he has a plan for your life. No matter what you've done or what you've gone through, there's something in you worthy of celebration. In any sermon that I have a chance to bring up a Ten Commandment, it's always a good sermon. Exodus 20:17, thou shalt not covet. That means that you don't need to covet anyone else's body type. You don't need to covet anyone else's talent. You don't need to covet anyone else's financial success. You have a divine destiny of your own, and you cannot compare yourself to the head cheerleader or the quarterback of the football team or a pastor from another church or another business that does the same thing your business does. There's something unique about you, and God has a destiny for you to fulfill, and it may not be the same as somebody else's. It may be completely different. So when you start competing and comparing, it's going to cause jealousy. You're going to want to change who you are, do things different. You'll feel inferior, and it affects your entire life. Um, Y'all know I don't know anything about football, so I studied about football this past week to use it as an analogy, and I discovered that when you're on a football team, there's a lot of different positions for the same team. Everyone's on the same team, and their goal is the same. Their goal is to win the game. But each position requires a different type of talent. In other words, there's a lineman. I believe when I'm studying, a lineman um, blocks for the quarterback. Am I right so far? Okay, good. A lineman has to be big and strong. They don't need to be that fast. They don't have to be able to throw that accurately. Size and strength matter for the lineman. The quarterback, now the quarterback has to be able to think very, very fast. The quarterback has to be able to throw accurately. Speed, agility are important because they have to outmaneuver their opponent. 
The problem occurs when the lineman thinks, you know what, nobody's wearing my jersey like they do for the quarterback. Nobody's cheering for me like they do the quarterback. Nobody yells my name. Nobody's congratulating me when we get a point. All I'm doing is blocking. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to change positions. I'm going to go over here and be something I'm not supposed to be. And a lot of people do that in life. They change their calling, their giftedness, their talent, their desires to match somebody that's more popular or more luxurious. But all that's doing is trying to gain you world popularity. See, I would rather be the best lineman I can be, if that's who God's called me to be, than be a very poor quarterback. Because something I've learned in life that I hope you never, ever, 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 ever forget is this. God will help me become everything that I'm supposed to be, but he will never help me become what I'm not supposed to be. Uh, Whenever David defeated Goliath, Saul was incredibly happy for him. I mean, Saul was cheering David on. He brought him into his house. He was like a mentor, a father to David. They strategized together with the different armies. They hung out. They ate together. Everything was going fine. In fact, Saul even promoted David. In 1 Samuel 18.5, Saul put David in charge of his military. David was successful everywhere Saul sent him. And one day, David returned home from a very successful battle, and something happened that forever changed their relationship. In verse 7, the women sang, Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. At that moment, Saul realized, there's somebody more talented than me. There's somebody who's conquered more than I have. There's somebody who's a better leader than I am. I can't have any of this. And in verse 9, Saul became jealous of David from that day on. From that day forth, Saul never looked at David the same. He always looked at David with envy in his heart, always wanted to covet what David had. Saul thought, man, I can't be number two. I'm supposed to be number one. Saul didn't realize God didn't create him as a 10,000-level conqueror. God created him as a 1,000-level conqueror. And if Saul's a 1,000-level conqueror, then God's going to not stop helping him at 900. He's not going to stop helping him at 950. He's not going to stop helping him at 999. But once Saul reaches 1,000, God's not going to help him get to 1,001 if that's not who he's called him to be. Now, David, he was called to conquer 10,000, so God helped him conquer 10,000. But give me if you start comparing or competing with somebody else, then there's going to be a 20,000-level conqueror. There's going to be a 30,000-level conqueror. A four, it never, it's a never-ending cycle. Once you start competing, it just goes on and on because there's always going to be somebody better. There's always going to be somebody better. I've learned I'm never going to be the world's greatest dad, but I am going to be the best dad that I can possibly be. I'm never going to be the world's greatest pastor, world's greatest speaker, but I'm going to be the very best that I can be with what God's calling to be. Listen, a 1,000-level conqueror is not that bad because guess what? There's some 500-level conquerors out there. There's some 50-level conquerors out there. If Saul had just been happy with who God made him to be, secure in his gifting or his size or weight or personality or talent or skill or financial success or job, whatever, if he had just realized this is who God's made me to be, this is who God did not make me to be, he could have been secure and confident in who he was, but he started comparing himself. And here's what's so sad about this story. Out of everything that a man can battle, men can battle lust, we can battle a lying spirit, we can battle greed and wanting more and money. Out of everything that someone can battle, jealousy became the demise of King Saul. Here's what I'm saying is this sermon might not sound like it's the most exciting, but the very fact that Saul was jealous of David, that one thing destroyed everything that God had for Saul. Everything he had for him. 
Can you believe out of all the stuff you could battle today, the one thing that could destroy what God has in your future is the simple sin of jealousy, of comparing yourself to somebody else. Your destiny might not be as popular as somebody else's. It might not be as luxurious as somebody else's, but it is special, it is unique, and it did come from God. Um, when I first started pastoring, I was very, very nervous about speaking, and I would throw up, you know, before service, and I'd take all this medicine I couldn't eat for like two days beforehand, and it was just from, from Monday to Saturday, my nerves would get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Finally, after about two years, I started feeling like, okay, I'm called to do this. I can stand up and speak. It's going to be okay. You know, everything's going to be fine. And three years into pastoring, I invited a friend of mine from up north to come down and speak at my church. And he had like 500 people in his church, and he was older than I was and just a wise, very wise pastor. So he spent the weekend just, you know, giving me wisdom and helping me. And then when it came time for Sunday morning for him to speak, he was the worst speaker I ever heard. I mean, he was so boring. He was so mon. His words were monotone the entire time. There was no emotion whatsoever in everything that he said. Just continue with monotone. There was no jokes. There was no enthusiasm. He just stood up and he just read some scripture and he talked very, very slowly. And all the time I'm thinking, man, this guy's church must be big because he's a good leader or a good writer or just a nice guy. But oh my goodness, it cannot be. His speaking skills are awful. Time church was over, my brother runs up to me as fast as my own flesh and blood brother. And um, he said, John Paul, that guy was amazing. He's the best speaker I've ever heard. He's so wise. And oh my God, I could listen to him all day long. I thought, are you serious? Are you really? So next Sunday, I decided... I was going to be wise, and I was going to be like Pastor Josh. And so I had no jokes. I had no emotion. I was as monotone as you could possibly imagine. And I'll never forget thinking the whole time I'm preaching, I remember thinking, I'm about to fall asleep. I mean, this is the worst sermon I've ever heard in my entire life. It was the most miserable Sunday of my life. And I learned something through that weekend, and that is this. Comparison always breeds jealousy, but jealousy always breeds discontentment. The minute you start getting ungrateful, the minute you are discontent, you think something needs to change, this isn't good enough, I'm not having fun, things aren't successful like they are with this other person, you can rest assured jealousy has happened in your heart. Jealousy always comes from comparison and discontentment always comes from jealousy. Here's what I'm saying. Saul was fine with killing a thousand. Saul was happy with the conquering a thousand. He was secure. Everything was great, killing a thousand. He loved David until he compared himself with somebody that wasn't in his race. He compared himself with somebody that was in a different position than him. Saul was a lineman. David was a quarterback. That's okay. Be the best lineman you can be. Everything was okay until Saul said, wait a minute. This isn't right. I should be doing what he, I should be killing 10,000. I'm sure I told you about the seven-year-old boy in church, I mean, in school, who, um, who didn't like who he was. His name was Billy, and he was very insecure. The sports that he liked, his friends didn't really like, and he wanted to dress like a surfer, and his friends didn't dress. And he just felt very, very um, not, not confident. And so Billy was very jealous of his friend Charlie. So Billy would walk like Charlie and talk like Charlie and dress like Charlie and play the sports Charlie played. And so he just kept on copying Charlie. Well, the problem with Charlie was... Charlie wasn't secure, and he was. Charlie was actually copying um, Frankie. And so, you know, he walked like Frankie and talked like Frankie. And so now Billy was copying Charlie, who was copying Frankie. 
Well, Frankie was very insecure in who he was, and he wanted to be like his other friend, Joey. And so Frankie would talk like Joey and walk like Joey and dress like Joey. Now, Billy was copying Charlie, who was copying Frankie, who was copying Joey. Well, Joey didn't like who he was. He was very jealous of his friend, Larry. And so he would walk like Larry and talk like Larry and dress like Larry. And now Billy was copying Charlie, who was copying Frankie, who was copying Joey, who was copying Larry. Well, Larry didn't even like who he was. I mean, Larry was very insecure, and so he liked his friend Mo. And so Larry <laughs> dressed like Mo and walked like Mo and talked like Mo. And now Billy was copying Charlie, who was copying Frankie, who was copying Joey, who was copying Larry, who was copying Mo. Turns out Mo didn't like who he was. He was very jealous of Billy. So Mo walked like Billy and talked like Billy and dressed like Billy and played the sports Billy played. So now Billy was copying Charlie, who was copying Frankie, who was copying Joey, who was copying Larry, who was copying Mo, who was copying Billy, who was copying himself. All the way in a circle. Here's the point I'm trying to make. The people that you look up to, that you're jealous of, that you think they're perfect and everything's great and you want to be like them, most likely... There's somebody in their life who they're jealous of and want to be like, and they're not being true to who God made them to be. The point is, you're only anointed to be you. You're not anointed to be somebody else. You're not anointed to dress like somebody else or walk like somebody else or talk like somebody else or have somebody else's destiny. The only person God will ever give you strength to be is the person that he made you to be. And we have to learn how to, listen, the only person we're never going to get away from is ourself. You got to learn to love yourself, faults and all. Recognize you got flesh patterns, but you need Jesus. Recognize you got strengths, and they came from Jesus. You know that scripture in the Bible, it's not up in there, but it says to love your neighbor as you love yourself. You can't love your neighbor until you first learn how to love yourself. And unfortunately, I see too many people that, that are always loving somebody else and want to be like somebody else. The, the reason I love David was David was so secure in who God made him to be. He was so secure. In fact, if you look at 1 Samuel 17... When he was going to go fight Goliath, remember Saul said, I think I got up there in verse 38, Saul wanted to put his own armor on David. Remember that? But David took it off. Do you know how good it could have felt? I'm sure David wanted Saul's approval. I'm sure he wanted people to like him and approve of him and think he was great. Imagine David stepping out of the king's tent, wearing the king's armor. Man, that would have felt so good out there. But here's the key. God didn't anoint David to be a copy of Saul. God anointed David to be David. And David took a very mediocre and average talent like the slingshot, something that thousands of people could do, and he said, you know what, this is who I am. This is who I'm not. This is who I am. He took that, and he went out, and he defeated the giant that was in his life, all being who it is God made him to be. And I'm not saying don't use wisdom and it's not, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't change things and grow in areas. I'm saying just know who you are and know who you're not. Um, in the New Testament, John the Baptist was having a lot of success baptizing people and I'm um, doing great things. And uh, there's a scripture. Let's see if I have it somewhere in here. Do I have it? Oh, there it is. Nope. Yep. John 1:19. These officials, they asked John, they said, are you the Christ? And it says John spoke clearly saying, no, I'm not the Messiah. Here's what's important about this. John knew who he was, and he knew who he was not. And if you don't know who you're not, then you'll get caught up in things that may be exciting, that may be popular, that may be luxurious. But if it's not who God made you to be, you'll never have God's favor in your life trying to be that person. If Saul had just known, just like John the Baptist, this is who I am, this is who I'm not. I can celebrate David 
Because I'm not in his race. We're on the same team. We're both trying to make Israel the best that it can possibly be. Can't we work together? But he was so insecure. He felt so inferior. Um, Years ago, um, back in, let's see, 23 years ago, so back in 1997 or something like that, 96, um, 95, 96, I met Mark Kaufman, our regular piano player. And I was at Dixie Stampede, um, selling popcorn for like five bucks an hour, whatever minimum wage was in, 575. And Mark was playing the piano on the pre-show. And man, when I met him, I thought he was the most amazing thing. I wanted to be just like Mark Kaufman. I mean, I wanted to be short and weird for the rest of my life. That was my goal, just short and weird, short and weird, short and weird. No, I saw him, I saw him playing the piano and, and, and I was amazed at his voice. I mean, I was amazed at his voice. I found out he lived in my neighborhood and so when I met him, I, he needed someone to cut his grass. So I would push my lawnmower about a mile to his house in the same neighborhood for just a, for a five-minute piano lesson. That's all I wanted, just for him to teach me at some licks, show me something. I'd cut his grass at you know, 16 years old and play the piano. And then he opened up Crocodile Rocks, the nightclub, the, the dueling piano bar. And I wasn't old enough to get in, so I would stand outside. And this went on for maybe two years. I'd stand outside, and I would just sit there and watch. Just stand outside and watch. I'm sure I looked weird. People thought, what's this kid doing? I would just stand there and just watch in awe and utter amazement at his voice and his talent. <coughs> Growing up, we weren't allowed to listen to secular music. And so you have to imagine, here I was a teenager, for the first time in my life ever hearing Journey and Credence Clearwater and the Eagles and Michael Jackson and Prince and and the Beatles, I'd never, ever heard music like this. It amazed me, amazed me. I mean, at first I thought these guys were writing all these songs. I was like, man, these guys are really good. And I learned, you know, there's secular music out there. And so I would watch them and I wanted to be just like him. And so I spent the next four years of my life uh, and I spent several thousand dollars in time and energy on voice lessons. I went to hit the person who had trained Mark. I went to Coastal Carolina for voice lessons. I got another personal trainer. Um, and, I, and every week I would meet with these people and try to train my voice. My whole goal was to be just like Mark Kaufman. I wanted to sing like Mark Kaufman. It was the most amazing thing I'd ever, ever, ever heard. After about four years, I started getting really angry with God because my voice was not turning into Mark Kaufman's voice. And I got extra upset. I remember one time... I was maybe 24, 25, 24 years old. And I really got so mad with God. I said, God, I spent years trying to accomplish this. Years, money, time, energy. How come you gave this guy a voice this beautiful and not me? I serve in church. God, if you give me this voice, I promise I will always use it for you. This guy doesn't even go to church. This guy singing in a nightclub is not fair. Why did you do this? I want to be like, I want to have this voice. I want to have this talent. I want to have this gift. I got so upset realizing I'd wasted money, wasted time, wasted energy. Imagine realizing one day that no matter how much you try, how hard you work, or how much money you spend, you will never accomplish something that you want to accomplish. It's just not in you. And I realized one day, God, not only did he not give me that gift, but he's never going to give me that gift. I will never ever be able to sing like Mark Kaufman. And one day, I, I pretty much just, I gave it to God. I said, God, I don't like it. It's not fair, but you can have this. I'm putting it on the altar just like Abraham did with Isaac. I want this more than anything, but for some reason, I recognize you didn't create me to be able to sing like him. About a year and a half later, God put the desire in my heart to communicate the Bible and to learn how to be a public speaker. And I went and took a college course, and I, I just came up. Every time I read the Bible, it just comes alive. And I think, does everyone else see this? When they read the Bible, it's amazing. Can they understand this? And my passion 
for speaking the Bible is 10 times greater than my passion ever was to be able to sing like Mark Kaufman. But God didn't give me that passion until I first came to terms with who I was not called to be. And a lot of times in life, there's a dream that we just have to simply put on the altar. Say, God, you know, like for some of y'all, I don't want to burst your bubble, but some of you in here, you're never going to be the quarterback for the Steelers. No matter how much you try, no matter how hard you practice, there's some things. Some of y'all, you're never going to be six foot three. It's just not going to happen. Some of y'all, your hair is never going to come back. I mean, you can get a toupee, you can do whatever. I'm joking. But there's, <laughs> I'm just messing with y'all now. Listen, here's the point I want to make, okay? God doesn't want copies. God wants originals. He doesn't want a copy of David, a copy of Saul, a copy of Mark, a copy of John Paul. He wants originals. And there's something about you that's so special, so amazing, that if you will just recognize the gifts inside of you, man, you'll wake up and celebrate every single day. The last point I want to tell you is this, and it's probably the most important point of the sermon, and it's something that's helped me throughout my life. And if you get this point, I promise you, it's a life changer. Success is not found or measured in how much money you make, how thin your waistline is, how many people approve of you, how many people like you. Or That's not success. You cannot measure success by that. I know you're thinking, well, of course, that's how we measure our business success. That's how we measure our, our financial success. That's how we measure, you know, if, if, we, if, we, if we win the election or if we become the quarterback or if our dream comes true, then we're successful. No, no, no. If you're measuring success by those things, then you are comparing yourself to others. That's basically, I mean, if you're, if you're saying, well, we're successful because we made this amount of money, what you're doing is you're comparing that to either the average, the overall, the U.S., whatever it is. So you can't, that's not what determines success. What determines whether or not you're succeeding is whether or not you're obeying what God's telling you to do. The reason is, is if you're in a, a thousand level conqueror like Saul was, and you know that and you're obeying what God's telling you to do, then you're going to make it to a thousand. Now, if you make it to 500, then you're not a success because God's called you to make it to, so you obey God and he'll get you to where he wants you to be. Let me tell you the scripture I have to back this up. The way I learned this is with Noah. It says in 2 Peter 5, 2, Noah was a righteous preacher. Here's what that means. Noah did exactly what God wanted. He preached exactly what God wanted in the way God wanted. He was a righteous preacher and did just what God told him to. Now, Noah did not have one single convert. Not one person came to his church. Not one person believed what he was saying. His family barely made it on the boat. Not one time did somebody say, yeah, I'm going to get saved at your church. I'm going to be part of your church. I agree with what you're preaching. Not one time. Now, was Noah a success or was he a failure? He was a success. Why? He obeyed God. So in other words, I don't know what level God's called our church to be, but I can't compare it and say, well, if we're at 500, we're a success. If we're 1,000, we're a success. You know what? God may call us to 10,000. God may call us to 1,000. The point is, is am I obeying what God's told me to do and called me to do? So next time you look at your bank account or next time you look at whatever level of promotion you're at at work or next time you look at how many people agree with you or what people are saying about you, if they like you or don't like you, that does not determine your success or failure. All that determines your success is whether or not you're obeying God. David and Saul, man, they were the best of friends. All Saul had to do was just be happy for David. All he had to do was just know who he was in Christ. Saul never fulfilled his destiny because he was competing with somebody that was on his team. They were friends. 
Don't compare yourself. Celebrate yourself. Don't compare yourself. Celebrate who God made you to be. Celebrate your strengths. Celebrate your weaknesses because those are the areas you need God and that he's going to come through and you're going to see him stronger in your weaknesses than you are your strengths. Celebrate the person God made you to be. Faults all, talents all, money, all of it. Don't ever, 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 ever compare yourself to somebody else. It breeds jealousy and it could destroy the plan that God